don't we we usually just start recording so we're recording now hey not a word <laughs> and we we don't really have we don't usually have plans either uh okay that's 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 kind of true yeah but it's usually fun that way we just yeah you know, yeah it, all you have to do is say things like we just follow the the leading of the holy spirit <laughs> <laughs> no, no one can argue with you. <laughs> like, yeah, man, that's like a trump card. <laughs> yeah, it's it's basically like when I say I'll pray about it. Yeah, that's another way of saying I'll tell you no later. <laughs> you know? Everyone knows that one. Um, so I I want to introduce you to those that are listening. Um, as Tim Ketchum, the amazing Tim Ketchum, but I have to introduce you as Bill. Because, okay. because next week, we've already recorded the podcast for next week, and we thought we were going to be interviewing a Bill, and that didn't work out, and so this podcast is going there. <laughs> so, okay. We say a bunch of times in next week's episode, last week, if you heard Bill say, <laughs> so... <laughs> So, so you're, you. you're Bill today. Okay, man, I can I can sub in for Bill. That's not a problem. Perfect. And it's just it's really it's just a nickname. Yeah. You know, like it's an affectionate nickname for Tim. Yeah, Bill. Yeah. So I mean, Bill not may not be happy with it, but I'm glad to do it. You know. Perfect. All right. So I have to tell you real quick. The first time that I connected with Tim was like, I think it was 2013, maybe. 2014, mm. 2012, I don't know, somewhere in there. When wow. when did uh you, you don't you I think I told you this story, you may or may not remember it. Um when did Permanent Revolution come out? You know, it was either 2011 or 12 or something like that. Yeah, so I think it was sure, yeah, it must have been 2012 or 2013 right in there. So I, I thought I was right cuz I had read the book. So for those listening, The Permanent Revolution Oh, this podcast is about APES, by hey, the way. I read that book. Did you? It was significant hey. for me. Yeah, it was significant. Tim, have you ever had a moment when you're like, we're going to interview Tim, who I'm called Bill, um, and don't know a lot about <laughs> Tim, also known as Bill, and remember now that I read a book by Tim slash Bill, that was significant for me in my journey of stepping out from when I was a pastor in a local church to uh, jumping in as a full-time mission. That's hilarious. I just want to confess. You just put that together. I put all of that mm. together. As you said, Good job. he wrote Permanent Revolution. So um, the I know that people are hearing this, man. The homework you guys do is astounding. And so I just sort of <laughs> throw that out there. So, hey, that's amazing. Well, cool. Hey, keep going, Brian. Good yeah, day. so I, I had known Rob, and because I knew, knew Rob, I knew of Alan Hirsch because he's like, oh, you should read mm. things by Alan. And then I saw, well, Alan wrote this book with Tim, and Tim lives in Tennessee. And I had some questions, and I was like, I'm just going to try to call this dude. It was the first time I think I Google stalked somebody and found <laughs> your number, and and you took my call. And <clears throat> at that point in my life, I was still like, there's a really famous guy that took my call. <laughs> That's awesome. Anyway, halfway through that call, I'm like, I'm pacing outside of the church building where we worked, talking to you about apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers and how I was like struggling in that position because we had, uh, uh, anyway, I won't go into why. 
but it was cool. And then some dude drove up and I was like, all right, I gotta, I gotta talk to this guy. I'm so sorry. Let me call you back later. And then something happened and we didn't talk again until last August. (laughs) Yeah. Like 10 years later. (laughs) (laughs) So then anyway, we caught up, uh, last August in Nashville, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Y'all were down for like a conference there. Yeah. Kind of shark tank kind of thing. Yeah. And so we reconnected. And so for those listening, Tim has been working with our team in Kansas City, our hubs, uh, equipping the equippers is what we've been calling it, walking through APEST. And we happen to be doing a little series on APEST here with our podcast. And kind of the same way we connected the first time. It was like, hey, last night I was like, hey, we should we should interview Tim, and here you hey. are. <laughs> yeah, so thanks, Bill. <laughs> yeah, I mean Bill. <laughs> so I'm um, so really so we're going back in time here. So I, obviously we've thrown out a lot of uh, confessions this morning, and one of them is that we will sometimes record out of order, and so we recorded some episodes on APES. So really, this is our introduction. This episode, is, yes. So we need to unpack that at the beginning, right? With yes, with okay, well, and well. we have uh, what I would consider to be one of the, well, I don't, I don't know that you want to be referred to as leading experts, but you have put a lot of time into understanding APEST and equipping people around this Ephesians 4. So why don't we just start with, now that we're five and a half minutes in, we should allow Bill to talk for a few minutes. <laughs> what was like your introduction into APEST? Like why, why have you spent so much of your life engaging this passage learning the ins and outs and uh yeah yeah it was actually uh through alan um somebody had given me his book shaping of things to come Mm -hmm. and uh when i read it i was like wait a second i think i might be one of those five (laughs) and i saw myself in the apostolic uh function and gifting and i was like man i gotta find some more stuff about this like this is kind of therapeutic to realize you know that there's not something wrong with me that some of the impulses and sort of paradigms that I think out of, um, it tends to run against the grain when you're in sort of like a conventional pastoral role. And I always struggled in that role. And I thought there was something wrong with me. Like all my friends are more fit that role better. And, you know, they remembered everybody's name. They know when everybody's birthday (laughs) is and, they're just telling all these stories about going deep with people. And I'm just like feeling kind of bastardized, basically. Mm-hmm. Like uh, there's, there's gotta be something weird about me. Maybe I'm in the wrong profession. Um, so, so you were like vocational ministry. Yeah. I was, I was doing campus ministry at the time that I accessed that book. Um, but before that I had done church planting in the urban context. I had done campus ministry and youth ministry and that, that kind of domain definitely gives you a, a more entrepreneurial space. There's definitely a lot more freedom. Your role is less constrained. Um, but, you know, I was definitely in a more conventional church at the time mm-hmm. that I encountered that book. And so I had a lot more tension in me about the expectations of, hey, you should be this way and you should be doing these things. And I'm just thinking, yeah, but I don't really feel I get it. But then I'm like, maybe I'm not supposed to be in, be here. You know, mm. there, there was that kind of tension going on. Yeah. That's like wow. crisis of belief moment. I know that feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so this really is supposed to be sort of an intro 
overview of APEST. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, you know, you actually asked us the other day, how much do our people understand, like within the network of the Kansas City Underground, how much do they understand APEST? And I, I feel like mostly we have a good grasp on it. Mm-hmm. We talk about it a lot. We When we do gift assessments, when we help people understand their own personal calling, part of it is assess yourself on APEST, try to figure out where you are on that continuum. Uh, so mm-hmm. let's just do that for the next 25, 30 minutes. Let's do an overview on APEST and maybe help us understand, like, I don't know, all the things that you've understood after <laughs> a decade or 15 years, 20 years. How long has it been that you've really kind of been moving oh, man yeah i guess it has been about 15 years i guess if you do the math um or maybe it's no 2011 more like 10 years i guess mm. okay yeah mm. yeah so maybe yeah maybe throwing out there like the <clears throat> excuse me like the 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 quick overview when you think of a like where do we get that language what is it as, as kind of the everyday person listening to this podcast um you know some people are familiar. Maybe the everyday person may not be. So just want to give you the floor for a couple minutes to condense a decade of scholarly work. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there, there, there are five gifts that are found in Ephesians four and uh, my, you know, the apostle is basically someone who is sent. Um, and then the prophet is basically someone who, uh, like I, I tend to use two words for each gifting. So I, I understand the apostle is one who is sent and scales and there's this missionary mm. entrepreneurial thing going on there. Um, and then the prophet is one who uh, reveals and reforms and they're very much drawn to the margins. They're drawn to the, the edge and not the center. Um, the evangelist is someone who uh, promotes and persuades Um they're very much the messenger, the recruiter, the person who's always spreading the word about this really cool thing over here. Um, the shepherd is someone who protects and provides. And that's kind of drawn from Psalm 23, where you got the rod and the staff of the, of, of the Lord as the good shepherd. Um, and then teachers basically explain and train um, their into linear process and helping people come along in an instructional kind of way. Um, but you know, the, the basic gist of APEST in Ephesians is that without these five giftings, equipping one another and training one another to do what it is that they've been gifted to do, um, you actually can't mature. You can't actually grow into the person that God actually created you to be. Um, and it, it, that actually rounds very counter to, um, sort of a common, conventional wisdom where in leadership studies, they tend to tell you to focus on your strength. Um, only do the thing that you're good at. Um, kind of like strengths finders kind of leads in with the story of Rudy, you know, who this guy who wasted his life trying to become good at something that he just wasn't naturally good at. And they say, why would you want to do that? You know? Um, but APEST actually kind of, uh, it runs against the grain on that. Because it says, even though you are gifted primarily, let's say you're gifted as a, as a prophet, um, unless you receive equipping from these other gifts to develop the skills and sensibilities of these other gifts, you, you're actually going to be an immature prophet or you'll be an immature evangelist. Um, 
So basically APES is given to us to help us mature and help us become and grow into the fullness of who Christ is. So, well, that's good. You, you really, I, I love the two word uh, explanation. I don't think I've heard it that way before. You, you really had me until the teacher, and then you didn't use the same beginning letter on that one. So I'm gonna <laughs> need you to go back. <laughs> but it, but it, at that point, it kind of rhymes. It rhymes. True, it did rhyme. So it went though. from alliteration to rhyme. It was good. It was good. Was a, you're really down on yourself about your uh, your pastoral gift there, but that was solid. <laughs> good pastoral hey. work. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, did you have a question? You were teeing up. Oh no! I mean, I was just looking at Ephesians four because I mean, it, the question that pops in my brain is a very leading question. It's a uh, mm. how is this a game changer when it comes to thinking about church and church leadership? You know, like that's the like, and then you even think of it. So in our world, right, we're mobilizing, equipping, catalyzing uh, everyday people to plant the gospel, make disciples, and see new forms of church. Um, emerge out of this. And so, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, to me, it's like, this is, this is absolute game changer. Right. And, and we're actually within a bigger conversation right now in our podcast about um, how the, how the church is led and developed. That's kind of a, a, a sub point within a greater point um, and within a greater point. <clears throat> that's kind of what we do. And so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of my, my question when it comes to how the church is led and developed, how is understanding a past a, a game changer? I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is something called the law of requisite variety. Oh, of course. Um, yeah, that's what, yeah uh, that's, well, we were going to say that. We were just talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a principle that basically says um, if, if like, let, let's say you're in the jungle and there's like 10 challenges that you're facing in the jungle, 10 different kinds of challenges. First of all, I'm in. Just just know okay. that I'm 100% in. <laughs> all right, keep going. Um. But let's say that you only have the capacity to meet five of them. Like when you look at your own skill set, your own training, um, your, your, your basic things that you're bringing into the jungle. Well, how long do you think you'll survive in the jungle? Mm, yeah. You know, well, probably not long. Um, and the law of, of requisite variety says that when you're in an environment that has a certain level of complexity or diversity of challenges, if you don't have at least an equal number of competencies in yourself or in the group that you're in to meet those external challenges, then you're not going to survive. Um, you have, and so in, in order to actually meet the challenges of the day, you're going to have to scale up the level of diversity within your, your own person or within the group that you're in, in order to thrive, um, in order to make it through that challenge. And so essentially what APEST is, is it's basically saying, what if we were to diversify um, the competencies within the body of Christ and go beyond just the competencies of teaching scripture or gathering people in smaller groups for a supportive um, type of environment? What if the challenges we're facing are actually broader and more diverse than that? Mm -hmm. Um, And then what if we actually have the inherent competencies actually already within the group. We're just not paying attention to them. We're not creating space for them to come to the table, to exercise those competencies and start collaborating together to meet these really diverse challenges we're facing. Um, So it's, it's, it's definitely a game changer in the sense of um, 
we are we're not doing very well when it comes to meeting the challenges of our day. Mm-hmm. And I think APES is basically holding itself out to us saying, well, we have what it takes to meet those challenges. The question is, are we going to actually access those and start to apply them? Because they're already there. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Why would we ignore them? Yeah. Why would we not pay attention to those? That's so good. I mean, in some ways, it's just so simple. Um, it's like, yeah, there's other, there's giftings and you can't do it all by yourself. And, you know, um, even if I can do eight or nine of the 10 jungle things, Brian might be able to do one of them. (laughs) Right. And so even at that very, like, (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, but seriously, in one sense, it's totally simple. In the other sense, it's like we operate a lot of times thinking church leadership, let's say, um, in the West, like we did, we put, we try to like, I think we talk about this in a different podcast in, in the future is that we try to squeeze all of those roles into like one person, right? And so someone mm-hmm. who, I mean, your, your story earlier, where it's like you're trying in some ways um, to embody all five of these roles in a campus ministry position or something mm-hmm. like that. And you're obviously, you're, you're, you're not feeling quite as, you know, gifted or excelling in the pastoral stuff. And, um, and so in some ways it's so simple. In the other ways, it's like if we actually functioned like that, um, I mean, it, it is absolutely a game changer. I mean, the way the, the, the rhythms, the, the, the scale, uh, yeah, all the challenges that come I mean, that's a significant, I mean, that's a significant little shift in the way that we think of that. Yeah. I was in a, I was thinking my own experience in church leadership is it's oftentimes you have people that are really gifted in pastoral roles, but they're forced into like the flip of what you experience. They're forced into yeah. like having to be apostolic types, you know, like mm-hmm. what's the vision? What's the next thing we're doing? Where are we going? Where are we headed? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, so they're, they're having to function in roles that they're not extremely gifted in necessarily, but then mm-hmm. to invite someone else to fulfill that role in churches. We know it, by the way, I'm not mm-hmm. s- speaking of that. It's like, there's a threat. Suddenly I'm, I don't have all the gifts. Suddenly I'm, I'm not the one in charge. Like it's, it's a, a threat to my identity or power if, mm-hmm. you know, in, in that way. I'm thinking in the microchurch paradigm where we're saying we, we don't even use the, the language of pastor. When we talk about you might have a pastoral gift or a shepherding gift, but we're not going to use it as a title. It's like, you know, how do, how do you invite all of those voices to the table within that extended spiritual family? and begin to access that. Mm. And I think that even just understanding APEST at this level, like, you know, sent and scales, reveals and reforms, promotes, and it's like, I I have all of this knowledge. We have this knowledge. We're learning from people like you consistently. I'm still like, how do we put this into practice? Mm -hmm. How does this become practical for everyday people and their little extended spiritual families? Yeah, and, and, and maybe even a little more context to that. Like most of our new microchurches emerge out of kind of new disciple making. You know, so really we're learning from church planning movements all around the world where we're finding a network of people um, who are who probably don't yet know Jesus but are leaning in. And so from the ground up, we're seeing disciple making that forms this kind of baby young church. And so even in that, we're like, we're, we're fanning the flame. We are... Uh, from the ground up, kind of raising up and identifying even a pest giftings within that community, right? So for us, that's like, I think part of what you're talking about, Brian, was like, how do we wrap our minds around what this looks like in the micro setting 
um, and with movement dynamics out of new disciple making. Does that all make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Train us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that my cue to talk about yeah. that? <laughs> yeah. Tell us more. Um, yeah. So like, one of the metaphors Paul uses in Ephesians 4 is a body, mm-hmm. right? And uh, I think that's a very fertile metaphor because you are now dealing with a system uh, that has different parts. Yeah. And one of the beginning places when you're working with a system is you don't really look at the system as a whole. You actually, well, there's there's different ways to start. You could you, you, you could start with the whole, but I found it easier to start by looking at the parts and identifying the parts. So it's kind of like doing anatomy. Um, like this is the hand, this is the foot, this is what the hand does, this is what the foot does, this is how the hand is different from the foot, you know, and you start kind of looking at the different parts, and then you start looking at how those parts interact with one another. Like what's a healthy way for an apostle to interact with the group? What's a healthy way for the group to interact with an apostle? Um, Or how should an, an apostle interact with a prophet? Out of those two synergize, you know? So yeah. um, when you're looking at how to activate APES, I found it helpful to start with the parts first. Mm-hmm. And then you start looking how the parts start interacting with one another. Because in a system, if the parts can't interact, you actually don't have a system. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have a structure and structures eventually fall down unless they're moving. A system is basically a structure in motion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to learn how to, the parts have to learn how to interact with one another. Um, and then you can start talking about how do the parts work together towards a common goal. And that's when the system starts working collectively and they start collaborating. And that's when you really start seeing sort of like a net effect of what it, what it looks like to have all five of these gifting working in a group. They're contributing to one another. They're challenging one another. Um, and yet they're also all focused on this one goal. Um, and so, but a lot of people kind of want to jump into that last stage. Like, how do we get all of this going and working on this one direction, but you have to kind of back up a little bit to make sure you actually know what you're working with. Yeah. That's, I think that's really good. Okay. So I have another question. Um, I think, I think some of the, I think sometimes we talk about APEST like it's, uh, like it's Enneagram or like it's a personality test. Mm-hmm. And I would just love to hear your thoughts on that. Like, how is this different than, um, here's my Myers-Briggs, you know, like what, what, how is this, how is this different than personality test? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, if you were to like kind of pinpoint, like let's say Enneagrams and that's, since that's, uh, kind of trending these days, mm-hmm. um, you know, Enneagram is basically about motivation. Um, and so there's there's people with very different Myers-Briggs personality uh, types who would actually both identify and test out and categorize themselves as maybe like an eight or a mm. three or what have you, even though they have one would be an introvert, one would be an extrovert, one would be a feeler, one would be a thinker. And yet they're both, you know, identifying as a three. Mm-hmm. Um, and so APEST is primarily about... Um, you know, the best word to use in our common understanding would be about ministry. Um, in other words, it's things that you can observe that people do. Mm. Um, now their motivations might be different for doing those things. Um, so, you know, yeah, yeah. That Enneagram is going to hit the more internal motivation, but, 
Um, and it's also something, you know, when you start talking about the nature of APEST as opposed to like DISC or some personality thing is that these are things that um, you have a natural capacity to do, but you also feel pulled towards them. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lifelong pattern. Right. Of if I leave you alone and you have no external constraints um, and you have no overriding internal constraints, then you're just naturally going to start moving in this direction. You're going to gravitate towards these kinds of ministry activities and I think that it, it's one of the reasons why, like, I'm for online tests, but I'm also right. use them very open-handed. Yeah, because I think they can be suggestive, but they're definitely not determinative yeah. in identifying your gifting. Yeah, yeah. I always, I, I like to give people online assessments as like, hey, this is a starting point, but like, don't don't put all your eggs in that one basket or whatever the metaphor is like, you know, go ask some people, like, what do you observe about me? No, no one would observe about me that I'm good at shepherding people. (laughs) You know, it's like, yeah, I don't see you doing that. Well, I see you try sometimes. (laughs) So that's the first time I've heard it put that way. And that's very helpful. I actually was writing some notes um, about motivations and expression earlier, because I've heard mm. Rob talk about it that way in the sense of most of us primarily operate with like, you could identify two that are sort of your strongest. Mm. I, I'm, I'm curious about the pushback on this as well, but we've often trained around that idea that like, I'm an apostolic evangelist. Mm. One is the, the motivation and the other one is often the way it's expressed. Mm. Is that like helpful language in understanding a pest? Yeah, it's um that there. I would say that that's kind of a school of thought, which kind of comes from the world of psychographics. Um, I and thought, I, thought uh, I think there, yeah, there's there's some legitimacy to it. I would say, um, but I would say that there's also other ways of understanding how your primary and your secondary gifting function. And your narrative and your experience is going to shape that. So like people who've been in ministry for a while in a traditional setting, then a lot of times their secondary gifting does become the primary way that they function because their primary gifting may not actually be appreciated Mm. um, and they may not be rewarded. And so they actually end up developing their secondary gifting more than their primary gifting. Um, But, you know, for people who aren't, um, sort of in an environment where they have to kind of suppress their primary and develop their secondary or tertiary or what have you, um, they can actually express their primary gifting in a very dominant way. And their secondary just becomes supplemental. In other words, it supports them as they function out of that primary gifting. Mm. So I think there's definitely examples of what you're describing and that can definitely illuminate um, someone's gifting profile, but I would also say there's probably room for other ways of interpreting how the primary and secondary interact with one another. Mm-hmm. Tim, this is super helpful for me. So, <clears throat> excuse me, like I, you know, both Brian and I actually, like our personalities are very different, but we're both very high apostolic people. And so when we launch underground, uh, for the first time in my life, I I got to like fully be 
in like an apostolic role, um, you know, like <clears throat> get to go new places and stir up, you know, dust storms in different places and find leaders. And it's just, and it's, you know, I got tastes of that. Um, and I was at a local church that actually gave a lot of freedom to be able to go create and do things. But over mm-hmm. time, I was a young leader and I got kind of higher up on the, uh, the hierarchy. Uh, I started having, the, I mean, I was put in charge of funny things like, um, counting numbers in a parking lot or, uh, getting the security camera, uh, you know, like figured out. And I'm just, I remember thinking like, why do you even want me to do this? Like, this is, I'm so, I'm not good at this. It's not my role. So we are both got to run, uh, and we've been running for the last few years in this kind of like freedom of like, Hey, God's created us for in this role to do this. But it's been, what's so helpful with how you're talking to, it's like, it's not just the personality tests or, you know, speak to our motivations. Um, it's, it kind of, I, I feel like it's what the second part of the verse is. The, these are for the equip. It's for the equipping of the body. What am I, what are we doing? Like, what are we actually, what's our role within the church? That's actually equipping the body, uh, for the ministry. Um, and I just think that's, that's so helpful for anyone out there, any micro church leader or missionary within Kansas city or beyond. It's like, how is, what's my, what's my role in the body? Like be able to freely understand that God has created you in this way. And I get to run in this way. And there's, uh, I get what you're saying too. I'm just rambling Tim, but like, I totally get what you're saying of, uh, we don't, we can develop, like we see these secondary gifts kind of developing. Um, and I, but just from a personal perspective, I feel I felt so much freedom and get to run in the kind of the primary, um, and so it's those aren't against one another. I'm just kind of verbalizing even my story. It's like oh, I get to be, I get to go do what God's called me to do, and there's such free. I, I have a big smile on my face thinking of the joy that comes with that. Well, I, I have a I have a question uh, to follow up on that. It's kind of like a two parter here, so I'm just I'll just lead in with the first question. We're, we're, we assume that there are church leaders listening, but we're gearing this to everyday disciple makers in Kansas City. So some people have argued that that little section is not about all followers of Jesus, mm-hmm. that it should, it's like, no, there are like, there are gifts that are given to some and those people should equip the, the, the body <clears throat> for works of ministry or whatever. So let me just stop right there and let you talk to that one a little bit. Like every yep. time we do training around this, we're like, we know some people are cessationists and I'm like, I don't even think cessationist applies to this passage, but <laughs> I don't, whatever. So just response on that first. Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. Um, and, uh, there's, I guess a, a couple of different angles you could take. I would probably say the, the starting point would be you have to back up to verse seven in Ephesians four, because many people start in verse 11. Um, but verse seven is actually where the discussion where Paul starts introducing Apes is all the way back in verse seven. And it's there that he says to each one of us, grace has been given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And, uh, you know, whenever I'm doing workshops on this, I always pause and say, now, you know, the Greek word here for each one of us literally means each one of us. <laughs> all means all. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, it, it's very simple, you know, and but there's another place in Ephesians 4 where this term each one of us comes up. And I, I think it's verse 27, maybe or 25, where he says, um, 
let each one of us depart from lying mm-hmm. um, and speak truth to one another for we are members of one another. Um, and so, you know, from a textual standpoint, you could say, well, is he only talking to church leaders when he says each one of us should stop lying? You know, um, so like there's something Maybe actually in the chapter, there. you know, in the context that gives you good grounds for saying when he says each one of us, he's basically saying each one of us, yeah. Yeah. you know. Um, but then there's also like the logic in the passage. Like I think it's in verse 16. The logic of the passage is that after this equipping process starts taking place, um, he uses this term each one of us again. Mm-hmm. Um in verse 16 and he says that each part yep. is doing its work and so that like this is a vision of the entire body every part in the body is carrying out a function and it's tied to each one of these giftings mm. um and so it's uh i think there's a good textual argument to make as well as like For sure. the logic and coherence of the passage is pointing in that direction so this is the second part of the question, which I, I may have already asked this earlier, but just to speak it plainly, if we've each been given these gifts, why, why does it matter, though, like for the everyday person just listening, like to go explore this and figure out what your gift is? I mean, I also think the answer to this one is simple because the body needs you. But <laughs> I don't know. I just want to give you a minute on that, too. Yeah, I mean, the Ephesians 4 makes an astounding claim. Um, it's a claim that's actually not made in any other passage. Um, and it also has a mandate that's not in any other passage that talks about gifting. Um, and, you know, the claim is that these gifts help us mature into the fullness of Christ. And so the implication is, is if, if we don't start digging into this, then we're going to get stuck developmentally. Um, you could call it arrested development. You could call it a lot of things, but you're basically going to stall out. Um, and so if we want to see ourselves make any progress in Christ, you're eventually going to have to start digging into this, um, and getting clarity about it. And, uh, you know, the, the second thing is that there's actually a mandate in this passage for these gifts to equip the body. Um, and so there is an issue of obedience here, I think, um, that mm-hmm. um, we normally make our way into APES by exploring and experimenting with these different giftings. Mm-hmm. But eventually it's intended to evolve to the place where if I am, you know, an evangelist, then as I mature, I'm eventually supposed to start equipping the body to function evangelistically. Mm-hmm. And so how, how can I actually respond to that mandate of equipping if I don't know what my gifting is? And then if I don't actually start learning how to equip other people mm. to function in the thing that God has gifted me to function in. Yeah. All right. I have one more. And, and then I have a case, I'll have case studies, a couple of case studies to throw out there after you. Okay. Yeah. So, my last question would be, you have all five within you. That's something we train around as well. It's like if Christ is in you and he was the best apostle, the best prophet, the best evangelist, shepherd, teacher, then all five gifts exist within. You can exercise all five. Like we shouldn't limit ourselves going back to the personality thing. Like, well, I'm this, so I can't be anything else. 
you know, it's like it limits who you are. So mm. how, how much would you encourage, suggest like developing around your weakness? Now that mm. I'm asking the question, I'm like, well, I think that's mm. what you said earlier. It's like you should develop those mm. by having other people that are gifted in that strengthen you in it. I'm just curious how much you should explore it, for me confessing like shepherding is low. How much should I spend on that? Mm. Or should I let the shepherds do it? Yeah, I mean, I think like in a team context or a group context, you basically, uh, you know, you direct in your strengths, but you defer in your weakness. So if it's a weak place for you, then when you're into decision making and strategizing, you should definitely defer to people who have stronger, you know, capacities in that area. But when it comes to personal development, you know, we talk about the concept of primary and phase Mm -hmm. and that the Lord will actually lead us into seasons where we're kind of forced in some ways to function in that gifting. And it's a place of weakness for us. It's a place of annoyance. Um, It's kind of like going into the wilderness. Mm. Um, But he's actually trying to mature us. He's trying to develop something in us that otherwise would not be able to develop, you know, like, so like, going into the wilderness, there's only certain plants that grow in the wilderness. They don't grow anywhere else except the wilderness. Mm -hmm. And when the Lord leads us into a place of weakness, he's probably trying to develop something in us that otherwise could not be developed. Mm, Um, So yeah, I, I tend to point people in the direction of being open. Don't use your, well, I'm this gifting, therefore I never do this. It's like, well, you can't mature unless you actually start developing those skills and sensibilities mm. in yourself. That's so good. Like I think the case studies, like various micro churches that have emerged in our context that I've been around, we've got this really cool network called share the hope, which a bunch of guys have come out of jail and prison and addiction and seeing um, as the Lord develops disciples you know, as they're walking in obedience and encountering God, like you, you begin to really see their role, um, really emerge pretty strong. And it's so cool to be able to, I always say fan the flame of that. So we got guys who are just deeply compassionate and they just like, they want to love the guys that come into this group and they know they need all this love. And we've got others that are like burning to be like, we got to go, we got to do something. We got to reach, you know, all these people. And, uh, and I think being able to like actually operate where like, okay, you guys running over here and you guys running over here has been, has made that network so much stronger because they get to actually, they're getting the run and how God has equipped them. I'm also thinking of like, uh, you know, personal microchurch with, you know, my family and people we're connected with. And as, as people are stepping in and, and starting to follow Jesus, you're already starting to see, you know, their role, what, how God has wired them, what they could, uh, as they mature, like what that can look like. And so that, that to me is super exciting to actually see that in our, in our context, what we're talking about on the, on the ground level. And then third little case study here. And I referenced this at the beginning. It was like five years ago. And, uh, and I, there was two books that I read on a kind of solitude retreat and, uh, uh, permanent revolution and uh, a book by Sam Metcalf called, I think, Beyond the Local Church. And both talked a lot. I don't know if you know Sam, but uh, both yeah. talk a lot about APEST. And I remember specifically reading the, uh, your book and then and looking at the kind of even the different uh, functions and maybe it's personality, maybe it's just the passions within each 
kind of gift set because you were talking about mm-hmm. I remember reading and I and really resonated with the uh, okay there are apostles like Peter who they're passionate about you know stirring uh already believers are stirring the the church or reaching the, the religious kind of crew to actually like stir them on in mission and then there's the pauls that were frontier wor- workers going to new ground and i remember that was clarity for me is like mm. oh god built me more like a paul is mm. like i need to okay cool and there's like it was like clarity for me to be like this is how god wired me so i need to run in this lane a little bit better mm. so uh, so thank you, by the way, for writing that book um, and uh, bringing some clarity for me. And it's fun to connect those dots. But I think that's how like those are three really quick examples of how this conversation is significant, you know, on the ground level. Yeah, it matters. So, Tim, any final thoughts that you would encourage our people in of, you know, just like whoever's listening. These are my words to you about a pest as we go. <laughs> Um, yeah, I guess I would just say, um, you know, there's only five, uh, words or gifts or functions or, and whatnot, but there's actually, actually about 20, uh, different profiles, um, when you get into primary and secondary, but if you do all five are, are within us and you start mapping that out for each individual, there's actually 120 different variations mm. of how APES can show up in people in this primary, secondary, tertiary, et cetera. And so, you know, don't, don't write it off as a personality test. Don't write it off as somebody trying to put me in a box. There's, there's a lot of complexity um, here. There's a lot of diversity here. And the goal is to kind of unlock mm. what's already there and to give us language for it, to give us categories for it. Um, it's, it's not to weaponize it or use it against anyone. Yeah. It's more to like, say, Let's let's try to give some language to what it is that you will naturally flourish in when it comes to ministry, and let's just explore that. You know, um, let's open ourselves up to it because there's a lot to be gleaned, I think, from them. Mm-hmm. So good, man. Thanks so much for taking time to equip us again around this. I know this one will live on as people listen to this whole series. So thanks for giving us that that overview, but also a deep dive into it. I. Every time I get into APEST, I feel like I learn something new. So mm-hmm. appreciate your time, Bill. <laughs> thanks, Tim. <laughs> hey, yeah, thanks for having me on, and it's, it's great to interact around the topic. All right, we'll see you. Yep. Thanks for listening to the Underground Podcast. We hope that it's either been an encouragement to you or that it's created a curiosity about what it means to live into a missionary mindset with an aim to make disciples and see the church emerge. If you're a missionary or a microchurch in Kansas City and you're looking for coaching or just belonging within a network, we'd love to connect with you so we can learn about what you are doing and how you are joining Jesus for gospel saturation in this city. If you're outside the Kansas City area and have questions about what it would mean to catalyze a disciple-making movement that leads to the emergence of microchurches in every network within your city, we'd love to connect with you as well and offer whatever resources might be helpful to you. You can find out more at kcunderground.com. Grace and peace, friends.